we're talking about in our Encountering Jesus, our series this morning, In the Storm. Uh, and this is interesting in the way that, in Matthew at least, it is juxtaposed with a particular teaching. Now, if you've seen in your bulletins, maybe you've seen it already, uh, we're looking at a blended account here of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've got a bulletin. If you have one, then it's in the insert inside the bulletin. It'll be on the screen that way. I want to remind you again that I have blended the different ways that Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, look at this, this story, the story of Jesus calming the storm. Now, Matthew ties the calming of the storm with this warning of following him, which we'll, we'll look at at the beginning here. Luke has both. He has the warnings of following Jesus and the calming of the storm. But Luke separates them in his gospel by a wide margin. They are di in different chapters. They take place in, in a different order. So uh, when we think about the flow of the gospel of Matthew, it is very different than what Luke records. Uh, it's unclear why Luke does this. It's hard to know, of course, which of them has it in the chronological order. The Gospels were not really concerned with chronology. We've talked about this before. The Gospel writers are more concerned with themes and thematic elements in the presentation of the Gospel. Maybe Jesus gave this warning several times. He gives it before the calming of the storm, and then he gives it again later, and that's the one that, that Luke records. Maybe Luke intends to, to fit it in thematically in a different way. Mark doesn't record it at all. Mark has the calming of the storm and does not record his warnings about following him that we're, we're going to contrast it with in our study this morning. And I, I think the way they're tied together in Matthew is particularly powerful. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Matthew as the base of this story today. Uh, though it should be noted, I should note this, that's arbitrary. I'm just picking Matthew because I like the story of Matthew. Luke is perfectly valid, right? The way that Luke records it, if, if you wanted to study it that way, you could. So as we go through this, Matthew uh, 8 and Mark 4, Luke is going to be a combination of Luke 8 and Luke 9. That's why, because Luke has separated out these particular accounts in a different way. But you can see up there the color, how the colors are going to go. That is where each of these uh, verses are coming from. Matthew chapter 8, Mark 4, Luke 9. I'm not going to keep announcing the verses. You can see them up on the screen or look at them in the bulletin. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus saw a crowd around him and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, setting the stage, Jesus has been teaching. He's obviously performed some miracles. And this seems like a great thing, right? By this point, people have begun to recognize Jesus has authority. Jesus has power. Jesus is, is someone sent from God. Word is spreading. That's why there's crowds around him a lot. And he wants to go to the other side of the lake. He's looking for a little bit of a reprieve. And some guy comes up and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, which seems awesome. And of course, people will want to follow him. Now, he says it sort of in a couple of different places. You're kind of only following me for the miracles. He says that several times. But on the surface, this seems good. And so it's interesting that what Jesus says following this seems to be an effort to dissuade people from following him. He's going to give these warnings about, hey, you know, following me is not such a piece of cake, even though it would seem like this is great. Uh, we keep reading. Jesus said to him, foxes have no holes. Birds of the air have nests. Uh, or foxes have holes, rather. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their dead. 
And but, uh, but as for you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, and let me but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now remember, this is all of Jesus' teaching in response to a man declaring, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And in contrast to that, Jesus seems to be saying, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Here's why some reasons maybe you should rethink that decision. And really, it's a concentrated warning to anyone who's going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to say this as, as plainly as I can. These warnings apply to us. These warnings apply to anyone for all of time, henceforth and forevermore. If you're thinking about following Jesus, you need to read this text. You need to think about these warnings that Jesus is giving. First, Jesus wants people to know it's hard and uncomfortable to follow him. It's, it's difficult. Even animals have it better than the Son of Man, right? He, foxes have holes, birds have uh, nests. I got nowhere to lay my head. Now, it's interesting, as you think about him sort of gallivanting around the Mediterranean world, always in a new place, walking so much, there's an element to this that is purely physical. It is physically difficult to follow Jesus in his day. That warning is less physically taxing, we think about his running around the Mediterranean world and going from place to place, less, I think, of a physical warning to us, but it is a warning to us nonetheless. And why that is, we'll talk about in just a minute. The second thing he seems to, to get, try to get across, good behaviors, things that we would think, oh, that's a good thing to do, that Jesus warns, hey, this might get in the way of you following me. Does Jesus really mean that this disciple should not go bury their father? Burying your father, that seems like a good thing to do. You don't want to just leave the body out to rot, right? You, you got to do something with the body. Why, why can't I do that? Jesus, wouldn't that be great for me to do? Well, again, Jesus seems to be saying, don't do that, right? Come follow me. What does he mean by that? Did Jesus really mean that saying goodbye would make you unfit for the kingdom. The guy wants to come follow, but I got to go say goodbye to all my people, right? My friends, my family. I don't want them to just think, where did, where did Joe go? Joe is gone. What happened to Joe? I'm going to go tell them what I'm doing. And Jesus says, hey, don't do that. Anyone who turns back is unfit for the kingdom. And so we can think about these warnings. It's hard and uncomfortable to follow him. Literally hard and uncomfortable physically in his day. Warning still applicable to us. Second warning here, there are some things that you might think are good that might get in the way of you following me. There's an overall point that Jesus is making about what kind of a commitment he expects from those who would follow him. Following Jesus means giving up whatever might come between you and him, even if that's home or friends or family. Whatever it is, and I, I don't know what's going on in your life, that might get in the way of you and Jesus. But it's important to note that even some good things, some things we might say are good, some things we might think are normal, some things we might think we should be doing, even those can come between us and Jesus. This should be an incredible challenge to would-be Christians. That, of course, is contrasted. And the reason I like the way Matthew has, has put these two stories together we have these dire warnings about, hey, following me is hard, following me is difficult, you need to take care, don't, don't even take care of your business, just come follow me, don't get distracted by the world, don't get sucked back into what the world wants you to do. The contrast in Matthew with this warning and the calming of the storm. 
Because that's how Matthew puts it in his gospel. We keep reading. So Jesus says this. Of course, he's about to go across the sea. The disciple comes up and says, hey, I want to follow you. He has this teaching about, hey, it's, it's a difficult thing to follow me. And then he leaves. He goes in the boat. And leaving the crowds, his disciples took him, uh, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The other boats were with him. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being swamped by the waves, and they were filling with water and were in danger. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. There's a really funny contrast here between Jesus literally saying in the previous verses, I have nowhere to, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then what's the next thing we see him doing? He's sleeping on the cushion underneath the boat. I suspect that Jesus was very good at sleeping wherever he found himself. We'll talk about why that is in a minute, that it is relevant to the story. The accounts, all of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, go out of their way to make sure that we, as the reader knows, they're in a lot of danger. This is not some sort of uncomfortable swelling of the waves. This is very dangerous. They're filling with water. They're in danger. The boat's about to capsize, maybe. The waves are going crazy all over the ship. And, and there's a, an element of primal fear that's involved with what's going on with the disciples. And it's interesting. What did he just say? He just got done saying... Following me is difficult and uncomfortable. And what do the disciples find themselves in? Literally in the next story, they're following Jesus. Jesus is the one who said he wanted to go across the sea, right? He's the one that, that dictated the journey. And now the disciples are literally in fear of their lives. Why? Because they chose to follow Jesus. And they woke him and uh, they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, save us, Lord, teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, I like it the way doing this brings out a particular thing, that each writer, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, records a different way of addressing Jesus. Luke, he uses the word, uh, I should go in order here. Matthew uses the word Lord, right? Lord just simply means ruler, generic term for ruler. Uh, Luke uses master, which is, it's similar to, to ruler, the word for, for Lord, but is more generic. Right? The word master, the word uh, Lord specifically has to do, if you look at that clock up there, guys, that clock is just going insane. Really threw me out of there. I'm going to have to use my phone for a timing. Or maybe I could just preach until that clock happens to be right. <laughs> I won't do that, I promise. Uh, Luke uses the word master, which is more generically just somebody who's in charge. And Mark, interestingly, uses teacher, which is another word for authority, right? It's another word that has to do with being in charge, but specifically the word teacher is one who is in charge intellectually. We have Lord, one who is royal or a ruler of men. We have master, someone who's simply put in charge of a situation. You could be a master of anything. And then teacher, specifically one who has intellectual authority. And we combine these three. If we think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke combining this, we get a good sense of Jesus' relationship with the disciples. Remember, they're the ones following him. And you might come to Jesus on any of these axes. But at the end of the day, if you're following Jesus, the point of those teachings, the point of the warnings about what it means to follow him, you come to Jesus and you acknowledge he is in charge. You're not in charge of your own life anymore. You're following the master, the Lord, and the teacher. That means whatever he says, that's what happens. He says, go in the boat. Okay, we're going the boat, we'll go. 
If he says in our own lives, the things we think about in our own lives that need to change, the things that draw us back into the world, if we're looking at Jesus the way we should, he is the one who is in charge. We keep reading in the story. He said, of course, they wake him up. Master, we're, we're dying, we're perishing. It's, everything's going horribly wrong. And I like the way they ask. It's actually, let's say this one more time. The way that they phrase this, at least in Mark, the way that Mark records it, I like Mark. Mark's account of this has a little bit more dialogue. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You're asleep down there in the boat. Do you not care what's going on? Do you not even notice you're sleeping down there? We're all about to die? What does he say? He said to them, we are, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. What would that have been like for them? You wake up Jesus, the storm's overwhelming you, you're about to die, you go down, you wake up Jesus who's just sleeping down there. What a, what a, what, how is he possibly sleeping? Why are you afraid? And what's their answer? Have you not seen what's outside? What do you mean, why are we afraid? We're about to die, that's why we're afraid. He rose and rebuked the winds and said to the sea and the raging waves, again, going out of their way to make sure we know what sort of situation they're in. And Mark's the only one that records this particular phrase. Uh, Matthew and Luke, they just say he rebukes, he speaks to the wind and the waves. Mark specifically records the thing that he says, which is, I think, sticks in our brain better, right? Peace, be still. And they ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, again, and it's hard to know, again, if they're, the way that they're ordering this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a little bit of different order here, does he say it, why are you afraid when he wakes up and then he calms the storm and then he says it again? I kind of think that's the way that it is to reinforce in their minds they're not thinking about this correctly. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And then men were filled with great fear and marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Now, there's a lot to unpack in these verses. I want to start most obviously with Jesus' power. And this goes back to the three words, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke use three different words. Lord, Master, and Teacher used to address Jesus rightly so. And in this particular situation, he's Lord of the storm because he made it. He made literally everything that exists. So yeah, he's Lord of the storm. This storm, subservient to his will. He's Master of the storm because it submits to him. He's in charge. The storm's not in charge. The wind and the waves, they're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. In some ways, he's the teacher of the storm. And Mark emphasizes this again. Mark is the one who uses the word teacher. And Mark records the words of Jesus. The storm listens to Jesus. He speaks and it responds. The emphasis on the teacher of Jesus. Jesus rebukes the, the disciples then in part because they knew to use these words. They knew he's Lord, he's master, he's teacher. They knew that. Yet they'd not really thought through the implications. They didn't quite understand, and maybe rightly so. We could kind of cut them some slack, I guess, here. They didn't really understand how far his lordship and his mastery extended. Although... They probably should by this point. We've already read several stories up until this point of miracles and healings. And, and a lot of the things have happened in the Gospels we haven't read. That Jesus has done these miracles. He's demonstrated mastery and lordship over nature. Maybe they're just thinking he's master and lord over the human body. Because he heals. They hadn't really thought through, I think, his control over nature, over the way of the world, is not limited in any way. 
He is Lord and Master and Teacher of all things, including this storm. Which brings us to Mark's emphasis specifically on the concept of fear. Now, the other Gospel writers include this, but Mark specifically highlights fear in the story. And you see that, of course, in the green text here. He said to them, Why are you afraid of you a little faith? He rose and rebuked the winds and said to the sea and the raging waves, Peace be still. And they ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And then the next verse in Mark. Why are you so afraid? And then they were filled with great fear. Now, Matthew, he says they marveled. Uh, Luke says a similar thing, right? They marveled. They were astonished. They were, they were full of wonder, right? Oh, this is so amazing. But Mark goes out of his way to make sure that you in the narrative, you're reading this. Mark goes out of his way to make this contrast. Jesus asks them, why are you afraid of the winds and the waves? Why are you afraid of this natural storm that's occurring? To the transition, now they're not afraid of the winds and the waves. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of him. They're afraid of Jesus. They're filled with great fear. This is the word phobos. This is not reverence. This is not awe. This is fear. Which is a natural human reaction, I think. If Jesus has just gotten up from a dead sleep, gotten out on the boat, said, peace be still, the winds cease and the water cease and, and all is calm. Not only are they afraid because of the power of Jesus, but I think they're afraid because Jesus rebuked them. Jesus said, you didn't have the right attitude. Why, where is your faith? And maybe there's an element of, oh man, does Jesus not like us anymore? Is Jesus going to smite us because we doubted him? Is Jesus going to be mad at us because we didn't have the right attitude? The transition of fear from the elements to fear of the master, the one who really is in charge. They were afraid of the storm, but they shouldn't have been. They should have realized Jesus is in the boat here. Jesus is not going to die. Now, I will say this is probably why Jesus could sleep anywhere. He's just asleep on the boat. Why is he asleep on the boat? Because he's not afraid of anything. Zero fear. Why would he be afraid? He's not going to die in a boat. He's not going to die in a storm. He knows when he's dying. Perfect peace in his own heart. Now, when he comes to the garden, of course, we'll read this story when we get to it in a few months. When he comes to the garden, he has a lot of turmoil and anguish and trouble. And I think in some ways fear for what he's about to experience. But up until that point in his ministry, in his teaching, he's not afraid of the Pharisees. He's not afraid of the enemies that he has. He's not afraid of the weather. He's not afraid of anything. Why would he be afraid? He is Lord and master of all. But that should have translated to the disciples because they're with the Lord and master of all. Why would they be afraid? And Jesus asks them that, right? Why are you afraid? Do you not know who you're with? Do you not believe in who I am? That's why I ask, where is your faith, right? Why are you doubting? Why, why do you not have faith in me? And so the miracle results, rightly, I think, in great fear in the disciples, not the inappropriate fear of the winds and the waves, but the very appropriate fear of the Lord and Master. Several times in the Bible, in the wisdom literature specifically, we are told, what is the beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because he is the one who is in charge. Now, remember the lead into the story of, in Matthew. And this is why I like the, the contrast in, in Matthew specifically. 
The dire warning about what it costs to follow, how hard it is to follow Jesus, contrasted with what I think he's showing us in Matthew, the benefits of following Jesus. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's difficult. But here's what you get if you make that decision anyway. There are several things that might truly hold us back, right? I don't know what they are. But most of them are connected to fear. Maybe it's fear of physical discomfort. If I, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up certain comforts in my life. And maybe that involves uh, making less money. Maybe that involves giving more generously. Maybe that involves whatever you want to put in there. You're going to have physical discomfort, perhaps. Maybe it's fear of disappointing family. Jesus, I have to go bury my father. Well, I think we can understand why he wants to do that. That's the thing he needs to do. But for us, family, the fear of family might lead us to not follow Jesus. Or maybe to go halfway. I'm just going to follow Jesus halfway, right? I'm just going to sort of dip my toe in. I'll experiment a bit. But I'm not going to wholly commit because if I wholly commit, then my family will hate me. Maybe it's fear of losing or damaging earthly relationships. The guy, what does he say? Uh, I got to go say goodbye to everybody first. Why? Because he wants to maintain that relationship. He wants to maintain those relationships. And we shouldn't be too reductive in our thoughts about this. But the encounter in the storm shows us what Jesus has to offer in place of these fears. And, and there's more than this. Right? The fear of self-denial. We talked about in our Bible class the difficulty of self-denial and following Jesus. There's a lot of things that prevent us, but this is what Jesus offers instead. The offer, the trade, that you'll let go of the things you're afraid of in this life to follow the one who is in charge of everything. To follow the one who has control over all circumstances. We might have to forsake earthly things, but we gain the support and protection of the master of the universe. And really the question we ask, we have to ask, is that worth it to you? The answer should be yes. I don't know what I have to give up. You have to give up any number of things in your life to follow Jesus. What you gain is infinite power on your side. What you gain is the removal of earthly fear and the gaining of spiritual fear. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge, of understanding truth. Yes, Jesus is not easy to follow. And I think part of the problem is there's this particular strain of Christianity that doesn't acknowledge that, that it is easy to follow Jesus. It's just whatever he wants, and you do that, and it's going to be great and easy and awesome. We can admit it's not that way. He demands everything. He demands that you be willing to forsake anything. That's not easy. And that's why he gives the warning, right? The guy says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Um, you need to rethink that. I have nowhere to lay my head. Ah, let me, let me, let me bury my father. Ah, leave that guy. He's dead. Doesn't matter. Let me go say goodbye to my friends. Whoever turns back is unfit for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus demands everything. And the trade-off for that is you get everything. That's the trade. I don't know what might be holding you back, even the good things that might be holding you back. Jesus won't accept the excuse of, oh, that, but that was a good thing to bury my father, to go say goodbye to my friends. Whatever excuse you have for not following Jesus, he will not accept. 
Most likely, it's some sort of fear. The trade you're making, though, earthly things and relationships, in exchange for the power of the maker of the universe on your side. The storms, both literal and figurative, of life. We have a lot of storms in our fellowship today. Storms of people who are dealing with incredibly unbearable circumstances. People who are dealing with things in families and in health and in life circumstance that maybe has them afraid of dying. But Jesus asks the same question. Why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Because the storms of life submit to him and not the other way around. 